everybody, Duncan Fletcher back here for another PADS podcast. I'm here along with my colleague, the always resourceful, always hilarious, Stephanie Thorburn. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I don't know that I would refer to myself as hilarious, but uh, I do appreciate that and the resourcefulness. Looking forward to another great podcast for sure. That's that understated humor that you don't give yourself credit for. So <laughs> we're super excited today to have our guest uh, from the LPGA, the Senior Director of Athlete Policy and Development, Blake Henderson, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. So again, really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Blake, let's jump in. You've got a unique background. You are a lawyer by training. You are a former baseball player, if I remember correctly, and you come from the agency world. So how did you find yourself at the LPGA working in athlete development? Yeah, it's a pretty unique story. I feel like I was kind of born into professional sports in one way or another. My dad was an athletic trainer in Major League Baseball for almost 25 years with the St. Louis Cardinals and Pittsburgh Pirates. So I had an opportunity from a very young age to be in and around the top professional athletes in the world, get an understanding of what it takes for them to be successful at the highest level. And, you know, through my dad, had some very unique experiences to, you know, be around the best players. We got to see Mark McGuire break the single season home run record when we were there with the Cardinals. Had some great, you know, early 2000s teams. Got to see a rookie, Albert Pujols. And then we went to Pittsburgh and had, you know, an an opposite side of what it looked like in St. Louis with winning. We struggled a little bit over there. But it was great to see how the game had evolved and especially how the work in this space has evolved, too. So I went on to play college baseball at California University of Pennsylvania, Cal U is what it's called, the Division II level in the PSAT conference. And then after that, went on to law school at the University of Dayton in Ohio and then kind of re-entered professionally the professional sports world when I began working with drug-free sport the organization that manages all the anti-doping programs for all the major sport leagues. So in that role, I got to work with all of our golf clients, PGA Tour, LPGA, the USGA, and also got to do some fun work with CrossFit Games and the NBA as well, managing their programs. So developed some cool connections in that role. And then um, the LPGA reached out about a really unique opportunity a few years back. And this is kind of how I got in this seat here. So I never imagined in, in my wildest dreams that that would be the path that I would take to get here. But I tell people all the time, I have the best job in the world and, and super fortunate to be able to add some value to our to our athletes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, the exposure you got at a very young age to major professional athletes, I'm sure it was eye-opening. It kind of probably stripped away some of that veneer that, you know, hey, these guys are actually human beings and they have the same trials and tribulations as everybody else. And really what they're doing is a very unique job. Has it impacted how you relate to these these athletes that you work with day in, day out? And has it changed your perspective on professional sports? It, it really has. And I think from a very young age, like you mentioned, I began to understand that these these athletes were doing a job. And I would be a young seven, eight, nine-year-old in a locker room, you know, sitting next to the best players in the world, watching my dad you know, do all of their preventative exercises and warm-ups before a game. And I never wanted to ask a question or do anything that would impact them in the game that night because I knew how serious it was they were doing um, and, and how important it was for them. So looking back on it, I wish I would have been able to like ask them more questions or do more things with them. But I, I treated them like they were my friends, um, not that they were up on a pedestal. And, and I just got to know them on such a different level than many other, many other people. So. I really enjoyed that. I think it it also helped me to integrate to the professional sport world in dealing with our athletes here. I know they have a job to do and it's just, it helps to shape that. And understanding as well that our young athletes here, 
they need so much and that we're in a great position to help give them that. And we can do everything and we should do everything that we can in order to provide those, them those necessary programs and resources to get them from where they are currently to where they want to be in their career. Just a, a follow-up to that, Blake, is you were that little kid growing up in the locker room and then a teenager and watching and observing. And I'm sure like you were soaking things in that you didn't realize as you then went to college. Can you share about your experience in college that you then were able to apply in your work today? Because I'm sure your approach in college athletics was a little different than individuals that weren't exposed to, to professional sports. Yeah, and I think I quickly learned that all colleges and universities do not have the same amount of resources. So where I was at the Division II level at our PSAC conference, you know, we had one full scholarship on our baseball team. So I I believe I was on, you know, I think I got $1,000 as a scholarship athlete for baseball. We don't get a whole lot of love in that area anyway, but it was very unique. The support staff that we had around our athletes, I think it was like one or two individuals really just helped with scheduling. I do remember as a young student athlete, I, I transferred in from the University of Dayton as a freshman. I took a medical red shirt right out of high school. And then mapped out my schedule and then it was immediately returned to me and I was told that I couldn't take select classes because they were not with preferred professors for athletes. So that was my kind of first exposure to that. And it was just a really interesting thing to do, but being able to see how the athlete development staff and support staff has really evolved. I get to see it through my dad at the professional level as well. He was one of the first athletic trainers to be an assistant at that level, they used to have just one trainer. It used to be the coaching staff and one trainer. He was one of the first assistant trainers in the big leagues. And now to see how the, this, the team on the medical side has, has evolved over time, and then now how we are coming in as support staff to even help these athletes in all of these different areas. So it's just really cool to think that like my dad was like one of those first kind of like additional people that has come on when he came up in the late 80s, early 90s. And then, you know, to where I find myself now, somehow fitting in and around that team. It's just really interesting and really cool. So, yeah, in college, it was interesting because the resources weren't all there. And then just the, the how much the industry has changed over time would be some of my kind of takeaways there. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. The, uh, hey, you need to go into this class because of this professor. That's, uh, that never happens anymore, does it? That's, that's unique. It was very unique. And I, I forget, I had to take some sort of science and I actually got into them. They placed me in a meteorology class, which was um, one of my Who favorite. doesn't love the weather, Blake? <laughs> it, happens every day. it happens every day. So. That's crazy. You know what, though? It kind of reminds me of when I was going to school, I was playing hockey, but uh, we had to take a science. It was mandatory. So all the kids that were dumb at science, we ended up taking oceanography, the study of the ocean. So, you know, I couldn't remember a damn thing other than, you know, whales are large. That's what I got for you. (laughs) So, you know, I kind of just want to pull the thread a little bit further on your experiences as a kid, because I think that's got to be super impactful and it's going to formulate a lot of different things. And I guess, as you say, as you're watching your dad interact with these athletes and understanding some of the challenges that they're facing, and you look at sort of how you're interacting with these guys on a day in, day out basis, you know, particularly think about the schedule for baseball, which is so intense. So I'm sure you're Mm -hmm. around quite a bit. Yeah. How has those lessons maybe that you've learned or are there lessons that you've learned that you kind of pulled forward as a kid that you're like, you know what, nobody's really going to have seen this, but it actually impacts me today in terms of how I interact with these guys? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think there's a, a few different things. And I think, you know, in baseball and just the nature of kind of the, the team environment to what I'm doing now on the individual side, that's really helped to shape it as well. Understanding from a team perspective in, in Major League Baseball 
Everything that they do is required of them. A team can ask a player to do certain things. What we're not able to do on the individual side is we cannot mandate players really to do anything. We provide them a platform and a great opportunity to go out and perform on the biggest stage in the world to play for the most money in women's golf. That's what we do. And the work that I do is to help support them in any way that I can in order to supplement any efforts that they're taking off the course with their own team or to provide value programs and services to those who do not have their own resources to do so. So I think that's one thing that's been kind of eye opening. And it it took me, honestly, a little bit to kind of figure that out coming from the team based environments albeit having a great understanding of, of the professional game and, and individual sport on the golf side. But I think in practice, it's been a little challenging to, to kind of figure out. But I think what we're doing in terms of really trying to pour a lot into our rookies and our young players as they start their career, providing value at a young point in, in an impactful time in their career, hopefully that opens them up to allowing us to enter and, and provide more things of value later in their career. And also when we go back and, and need something from a player. Hey, if you could do this, it would really help to elevate our game or assist with bringing on a new potential partner. It, it makes that request a little bit easier because we put so much into them, you know, throughout their entire career. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I think the thing that you know jumps out too is you're talking about the work that you're doing now. You know, and based on your experience as a kid, and based on your experience as a collegiate athlete, how have you found it working with female athletes on tour? Yeah, and I think I think the focus uh, of working with female athletes compared to to men, I think the focus is generally the same. the The approach may differ at times. I think the area of coverage that we have is is probably generally the same, and there may be a few areas that require increased sensitivity. But at the end of the day, they're all elite level athletes trying to accomplish the same kind of hopes and dreams. But I think it's I think it's just the approach. It may differ. Those areas are the same, but it's it's the approach and. I think they're all trying to accomplish the same things. You know, given your log background, just wondering how often you kind of tap into that when you're you're dealing with your athletes in terms of um, regulations, policies, procedures, if that's been something that's assisted you as you've made that transition into the LPGA. Absolutely. It's it's one thing that probably allowed me to take the job in the first place. Um, and, re- and really, when I went to law school, I really went to supplement my education. I, I didn't believe my sport management degree from my Division II school was going to allow me to get to where I wanted to be in professional sport. I went to law school with the idea of supplementing my education. I never actually intended to sit for the bar exam. And then I got about two years in and I thought, you know, if I don't go through with this, it really won't complete my cycle here. I'm really happy I went through it through that just from an experience of just letting myself know that I can hopefully accomplish anything I put my mind to. But yeah, as it relates to athlete policies and the different regulations we have, I think one thing that I, I the perspective I've able to bring is when we're evaluating our different policies and procedures is to bring the perspective of the athlete to that conversation. How would an agent or how would a player interpret this same policy that we believe as an organization is interpreted this way? What else could be interpreted that we may need to pivot in order to protect us from some different areas? You know, as it relates to the drafting implementation and, you know, applying these policies, it's been it's been super important. But I think that and I tell people all the time, the thing that I learned in law school is just to really think about the perspective of the other person, where they're coming from, and place yourself in their shoes when you're viewing different policies and procedures to see how it could be impacting them because it's just not a one, one-way one street. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Uh, the legal perspective, and we were joking about this, is you know the legal perspective needs to bring that black cloud in and go, okay, where can this all go wrong? But you know, having that wider, broader perspective, I think is super helpful. 
uh, particularly when you're trying to put together programs that are going to have a positive impact on on athletes, the organization, and, and then the sport in general. I guess as you kind of work day to day with the athletes, how have you found the process of interacting one on one with you know female golfers, and, and how has that process been as you're talking about athlete development? Have you seen a shift even in your time at the organization, and how are folks reacting to what you're trying to accomplish from an athlete development perspective at the LPGA? Yeah, engagement, as we've discussed previously, is one thing that we're always trying to do better at, whether it be communicating at, our, at a higher level and really just getting our players to buy into different programs. The way we do it is really just through a couple of really key programs. And we talk about a holistic, data-driven and personalized approach to athlete development here at the LPGA and really just kind of operating, you know, with the you know, being holistic in nature, just kind of thinking, you know, looking at the entire person. I always tell our players really simple examples. If you're a, you know, a wheel and you have different spokes and they could be representative of all the different areas of your life. And if one of your, you know, spokes is broken, your wheel is just not going to be able to turn and, and, and go at the fastest pace. So we really need to help them kind of in all areas. So that kind of like holistic nature, but. I think as it relates to a couple of the key programs we have and, and the, the data-driven aspect of it, there's a couple key programs and it's all about trying to bring really cool programs and great engagement to our players. So it's stuff they want to take advantage of, not something we're pushing onto them. It's just opportunity to add value to places of need. So we have some really proud partners of ours um, at the LPGA, first being KPMG. Um, they've come on and provided a lot of support at our KPMG Women's PGA Championship. At the time, it was the highest purse in female professional golf. They've also brought a lot of resources to assist our athletes off the course as well. And they've started a program called the KPMG Performance Insights Program, which I helped to oversee with the assistance of Liz Kim on our team, who does a really great job at all things. But what that program does, it allows us to bring what is the foremost statistic in golf to the women's game for the first time, and that's called Strokes Gained. It really provides an analytical approach to, to golf. Prior to this, we were only tracking from a statistics perspective, fairways hit, greens hit, driving distance on two holes and putts. So a really small data sample for athletes performing at the highest level. This program now allows us to collect shot level data through a program that the information is collected either through the caddies or the players themselves. And then we facilitate a process with a couple different providers in order to bring this unique player dashboard to our players so they can access all of this analytical information and use it to prepare, you know, whether it be for different tournaments, identify different gaps in their game and really help to level up. So that's and that's totally a product of what KPMG's allowed us to do. And then another program that we have that's another one of our great partners is, is Aon. So Aon has come to the LPGA and the PGA Tour, and they have a risk-reward hole. And it's a season-long competition that's tracked over the course of the season that gives a million-dollar prize to both the men and the women that finish with the lowest score on this select hole at every event across the entire season. So really great that we're able to get a $1 million prize for our players. On our tour, that's essentially like winning at two or three tournaments, which is, which is really cool. So our players put a lot of stake into that. But again, like our, 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 our partners are investing our players both on and off the course. And what I think is our, our, one of my favorite programs because it ties and helps to amplify all of our existing programs is called our Aon Player Performance Program. And what that does is we have all of our athletes complete an assessment. We did this last year as a case study on the Epson Tour, and we're going to have all of our rookies both on Epson Tour, our developmental tour, 
and the LPGA tour moving forward is they complete an assessment. And it was really funny. I was listening to our podcast summit in 2021 and Dr. Nichols from Cal and her Cameron Institute, they were taking a data-driven approach to working with their athletes. And I listened to that and I was like, we have to do that here. And I was actively trying to implement something like this. And then our friends at Aon and their human capital vision came to us with this existing program. I'm like, perfect. We'll just go ahead and do that. That'll be, that'll be great. I love the idea that PADS is helping out. You know, Even during the pandemic, we're helping out. It's fantastic. It was amazing. And I think as I was new to the, you know, new to the space and, you know, really, really learning and doing as much as I could to be able to pull from that and to be able to implement a program that's going to impact so many athletes moving forward. But what our players do is they take an assessment and player report is generated and it helps to identify characteristics that are found amongst all top female professional golfers. We did this through various case studies with the Aon team, the research that had already been done in this space. And they also did a case study with Man U and their developmental program as well. So it's just a really, really cool program. Some of the different characteristics that fall in this program are ambition, awareness, composure, consistency, independence, positivity, and just a big picture mindset. So what we do is we get a player report and we go over all the results with the player individually identify their areas for improvement and align them with existing resources within our athlete development program that they already have access to and work with them to create a personalized athlete development action plan. So it's really cool. It it encompasses all of these different aspects, all of our existing program, and we're giving that personalized action plan to our players to help improve the areas that they're currently have room for improvement. And, and highlighting strengths is important too. And I think what's really cool is the research that they, d- they did last year on our Epson tour found that the difference between our top players in this assessment and our bottom tier was one and a half to two strokes per round. In golf, that's a huge difference, which equated to on-course earnings difference over the course of an Epson tour season where a, winning, a winner's check on that tour is about $30,000. The difference between that top and bottom group was over $20,000. More interesting was the difference between our different quartiles. So say somebody was in our top group and then somebody was in like a 50th to 75th percentile based on this assessment. Even moving a small jump, moving from one quartile to another, the difference was about $7,000. And on our tour, the Epson tour, we have um, our top 10 players make it directly to the LPGA tour over the course of the season. They have a money list ranking, which determines that. And so our players, Positions 10, number 10 made it to the LPGA, and 17, all of those players were within $7,000 over the course of the whole season. So I think if you're an Epson Tour player out there and it's like, if I can do something that's going to be provided for me, that's going to be able to help me close some gaps, that's the difference of me making the LPGA Tour. So I, I have no doubts that this program is going to help us really show that if players go through the program that we've outlined, work with us to go through a personalized action plan and take the steps. To, to kind of level up in their areas of improvement, I have no doubts we're going to be able to see that group that's doing that advance to the LPGA at a very high percentage. And out of curiosity, has your sharing of this information and getting into the details in terms of the value of going through this assessment process, have you found that it's improved engagement? Because they're like, wow, you're now tying this to performance. You're tying this to real dollars on the golf course. How has the player population reacted to this at the, uh, the Epson level? And are you starting to see anything at the LPGA level? 
Absolutely. And I think we talked before about, you know, the difference of something being pushed on a player. And again, difference between team and individual sport at the team level. I can maybe get away with that at the LPGA level in an independent contractor role in an individual sport. We can't do that. If I'm pushing something on somebody, their first reaction is to pull back. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't need that. I can get that on my own. But if we go through an assessment process, they're raising their hand saying, hey, I want to get better. I want to improve. The results of this assessment are suggesting that they have an area in which they can improve. I'm just now filling a need. And it's really easy to just fill needs opposed to feel like I'm forcing something on somebody. So our, our engagement has really increased and really picked up. And what's really interesting, too, about the assessment is we've asked players, did the results of the assessment align with what they thought you know, were their strengths and weaknesses? And a lot of them are suggesting that it's, it's very different. They thought, oh, I'm great at this. Actually, actually, I'm not. Or I'm really bad at this. Actually, you're not as bad as you thought. So again, it's really helping them to put the time, energy, and resources into the areas they really need to improve on or to help amplify their strengths. And I think just having that really high sense of awareness, again, key characteristic for success, has really helped them to allocate their time and resources effectively. When you were talking, you said a few things that prompted a question for me when you were talking about programming and engagement, and then when you started at the LPGA May 21, so right in the heart of COVID. And I'm just wondering, you know, what did the LPGA do to keep that connectivity with the athletes? And, you know, as you're talking about the data and the results, which I think is so fantastic that you have this data, how did you get them to buy into that, especially when there was such a disconnect? something that so many members of the PADS organization have shared that for, you know, two, three years, there was such a disconnect with the athletes. So you come in at, you know, a difficult time, you hit the ground running. What did you do to help create those relationships? I guess that's the first part. And then continue the engagement with the athletes. So there's the higher utilization of the programs. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think it was probably the most challenging thing for me to do is to come into an organization. And I didn't really come into an existing seat. The job wasn't set for me. I had to really identify what I wanted to get out of the program and what I wanted to build. So I, I took about the first 90 days and I was just information gathering and just trying to learn and connect with as many new people as I could. It was really important for me to get out to our tournaments and, and get to know our athletes. And I think every time I go to a tournament, we normally go when we're doing on-site activations. If we have a partner that's going to come out and, and help our players in one way or another, or we're putting on a program ourselves, we'll make sure to go to the program. But I often find myself even telling players in the moment after a great conversation, hey, I now know why I came here. It was to talk to you and, and hear the struggle that you're going through, that's not only going to allow me to help you at a higher level, but it's going to help everybody that's going to come after you or everybody that's currently in the same position. And so just getting out and getting around our players was extremely helpful. I think what we're also doing as well is we're, we're being innovative and we're, we're doing things virtually. We found that this generation of players as well, sometimes they're more opt to take part of programming that's virtual opposed to in-person. Sometimes when they're seeking out help in a particular area, they really sometimes don't feel comfortable putting themselves out there in a group setting. So we'll allow them to plug in virtually to some different activities. We'll make a lot of things recorded and make them, you know, seek that information and out, you know, when it's the right time for them to do it and on their own schedule. Again, independent contractors, we've got athletes all over the world, you know, just making things more accessible for them, I think is, is really important. 
And another thing is, is really just providing the specific communication to our athletes. There's a lot of information that we provide to our players that's not pertinent to every single player on our tour. So we're doing a, a really good job at doing more focused communication to athletes that, that need the information, but not allowing it to become noise to everyone else in the organization. So I think really tailoring our communication, that's a key objective from our commissioner, Molly, is to really increase our communication and make it much more effective with our players. And I think another thing that we do a lot in our virtual settings is we allow players to ask and submit questions anonymously. I think sometimes we thought players would just raise their hand in a Zoom meeting or submit questions in the chat. Again, tough for them to put themselves out there because they believe that I'm the only player that has that question. We all know that's not true, but we're providing them a pathway to get those, those questions answered, but for them not to feel like they're putting themselves out there completely. You talked about the tailored communication, which is probably in line with your tailored programming. So I know that you have some programming specific for rookies. Can you share a bit about the programming that you do, how you differentiate between the different groups and determine the right programming for those individuals? Yeah, so I think it's it's really good. And we have kind of three areas of focus that we have with our players. And the, the first one is transition in. And that, again, encompasses all of our rookie level programming kind of two buckets. We have one that's just really focused on communicating with our players and another one that's focused on education. What we do from a rookie perspective, a lot of our players earn their status for the following year towards the end of the year, right around the holidays. What we do with them is we have an intro conversation with them. We really just want to help answer all of their immediate questions. They're so excited. They've got, they're going to be an LPGA pro for the first time. They're accomplishing their lifelong dreams, but now they have all the questions in the world. So we really help to really we, we take one-on-one -on -one meetings with our players that last anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Last year, we had 31 LPGA rookies. So we're committing 30 hours of our time because we believe it's so important to really engage with our players and help them to get all the answers to the questions that they need. The next thing we'll do for our rookies is we'll pivot around. We'll do um, at the beginning of the year, our rookie orientation. This is something that had been done in person before. And again, we have athletes all over the world. If you look up and down our leaderboard on a weekly basis, you'll probably see, I don't, I don't know, 10 to 20 countries represented on a weekly basis. It's, it's, it's so, so impressive. But to accommodate our athletes, we've made that, those sessions virtually this year. So players didn't have to travel around the world to listen to me give a PowerPoint presentation. I didn't think that made a whole lot of sense. So we did that virtually. We also prov provided a lot of additional content that we would not have been able to deliver in an in-person setting. We made available to them virtually recorded or different documents and things like that. So that was another thing that we did at the end of the season. We'll do a recap with them from start to finish. Hey, what did we, what did you do? What do you want to do next year? What does your status look like for next year? How can we help you moving forward? I think uh, moving forward in the next couple of years, we're going to put a higher level of emphasis on not, not only assisting our rookies, but really helping our athletes in years two and three. I think previously we focused so much on the rookies that when the calendar flipped to year two, they felt like we were not doing as much for them. The gaps that we're seeing in, in the rookie level to you know moving on in their career, the biggest strides for improvement normally happen in years two, three, and four. They go through all their firsts as a rookie, but that's years two, three, and four. That's when they can really capitalize on what they've learned. They've built the foundation. Now it's time for them to go and improve. So, and that could be them going back down to the Epson tour and then coming back to LPGA, but really putting a higher level of emphasis in the future about how we're serving that group as well. 
from an education standpoint, we do a lot of different things with this rookie gear group as well. We're starting a new program this year. We're calling it LPGA Education. We're doing five on-site sessions for our rookie group and everybody who's in the field that week to cover a different area of our business. We're going to cover tournament business affairs. We're going to cover our partnership division, talking about sponsorship and branding, properties division that helps assist and, and put on the you know on-site operations of all of our tournaments. We're going to talk to our LPGA professional team, which has all of our LPGA teaching professionals across the country. And then we're also going to talk to our rules team. Hopefully we can help our players understand how all parts of the business work and how it all kind of comes together. And I think what's important for the players to see is just to see the entire organization and how many people are showing up every single day so passionate about what they do to provide the platform that they have to, to play and perform on on a, on a weekly basis. So I think that's that's really important, but that's kind of what we do for rookies. As we talk about what we have for you know different players and, and veterans, the other two buckets of our focus is we have one that's peak performance. That's everything from our nutrition, strength conditioning, mental health, all of those services and all of our partners kind of fall in that bucket. And then we have another program and another area of focus called Next Step, and that's helping our players to kind of identify what they would like to do. Uh, you know, as, as life after golf ends. We read a study recently that was put out by the IOC that suggested that when athletes begin taking actionable steps towards identifying what they want to do in their post-playing career, it actually helps to increase their performance while they're still playing and actually extends their career. So simple when you think about it. I think there was such a negative connotation about talking to an athlete about what they'd want to do in their post-playing career while they were still playing. But again, our players, if you're you know, 30, 35 years old on our tour, like you are one of the older members of our tour, which you're going to have a, a whole nother life after golf. So it's like, we really need to help prepare our athletes to confidently take that next step. And we have some different programs that help them to identify what they'd like to do beyond their playing career. We, whether it's uh, take a job in corporate America, start a charity foundation, become an LPGA teaching pro, we can help them with every step of that. So I think from a whole perspective of everything that we're doing with the rookies, again, if we can offer value from day one through the end of their career and beyond, like that's what we're trying to do. Start to finish, we want to be able to add value at every step along the way. To that end, I think one of the things you brought up as you were kind of talking there is that, that struck me is the challenge in your world of dealing with athletes, like you said, are situated all over the planet. How have you dealt with that challenge of dealing with multiple cultures, multiple countries, multiple languages? It's got to be part of the fun and I'm sure the frustration of the process. And, and can you maybe talk a little bit about how you've handled that and what you found that has worked when dealing with the international athlete versus you know, maybe some of the things that have, have proven a bit more problematic? Yeah, I think there's a few things. One, one thing that comes to mind, we have player meetings throughout the year. So these are done on site and we get everybody in a room. Our leadership team speaks to the players, really you know, engaging environment. What we do to support our players um, that may not be as comfortable speaking English, we bring in interpreters for them. So we have three or four different languages and interpreters that are set up. Every player wears a headset, looks like kind of like a UN conference. Everybody's all there plugged into a headset, but we're able to service our athletes in that way. When we did rookie orientation, again, we picked times that would hopefully try to accommodate everybody around the world. We're based on the East Coast, the United States. We also have a strong population of athletes on the West Coast. 
we've got a group of players in Europe and a large group of players in Asia. So what we did is we had three or four days of coverage and we selected times throughout the entire day. We had very early sessions. We had sessions in kind of the middle of the day and we had sessions late at night, hoping to, you know, get get everybody an opportunity to plug into a live session. So just it's just being you just have to be really mindful of it. I think when we talk about our Aon program, it's a great, great program. They offer that program and assessment in maybe 30 languages, which is really cool. That was my number one concern when we were talking about putting that together. It's like, okay, is this going to service everyone? And I think just being mindful of that. And I think everybody in our organization really understands the importance of, you know, connecting and being able to, you know, impact all of our players, you know, regardless of where they're from or what their most comfortable language would be. So I think it's, I think we do a really good job. And I think it's just, the global nature of our game and the inclusivity of it is is so fun. And to be able to work with all these high level athletes from all around the world, it's it's really cool. And I think, you know, as we as we work with our, you know, athletes, you know, especially from Asia, they have great team members around them too that are really impactful. So it's really knowing how to communicate with who would be their kind of decision maker and who's guiding them and really understanding that. And then working with the player on the front end to to understand. Hey, who is this player? Who who is this person for you? Who will be helping you? And then really being able to go to that person and saying, "Hey, I really need this person to to help out with this." Or based on what I'm hearing, it sounds like we have a gap in understanding. Like, how can I help? So I think I think those are all kind of things that we really you know focus on and put a large priority on. Which makes a ton of sense. And again, like you said, the the complexity and the time zones and all of that. But again, it adds a, a deepness and a richness to the experience in the sport and, and helping to kind of grow it across the planet is quite cool. And I'm sure that's super enjoyable. I think the last question I had sort of from my end, and it's a really kind of ties to what you've talked on on multiple occasions as it relates to tying the performance. Like you've talked about tying the money, tying the strokes. You talked about what you sort of found with the IOC. Those are the kind of things that when you look at our industry as a whole, for a long time, it's like, how do we prove that? How do we prove that these activities have a massive impact on performance? These should not be optional. These are table stakes, right? For driving positive outcomes for athletes, both on and off the plane surface. And when you think about what you've been able to accomplish within the LPGA in a relatively short period of time and sort of relating those things to, to performance, how have the athletes, as you found, responded to it? And are you seeing any other and unexpected or ancillary benefits from sort of their relationship to going, okay, this is impacting performance, but is it also impacting other aspects of my life now that sort of could keep me engaged? So it's kind of a long-winded question, but again, I think extrapolating on that a little bit further would be kind of cool because, again, the fact that you've been able to tie some of these things together I think means a lot, not only for what you're trying to accomplish with the LPGA, but it means a ton for the industry in terms of tying that engagement in these activities to performance. For sure. And I, I think uh, I reflect uh, when I started with the LPGA, I reflect um, on a conversation I had with Mike Nichols, who was overseeing our Epson tour at the time. And he understood the work that I was doing and, and also understood at the time that, you know, the buy-in from players may be a little bit more difficult than I was anticipating which was very helpful for somebody to tell me that when I was just walking in day one, it's like, well, I'm, I'm assuming everybody's going to want this programming that I'm putting together. What do you mean they don't want this? What are you talking about? <laughs> and so, you know, that was, that was helpful for him to share that. But he also encouraged me. He goes, you know, Blake, this is going to probably start small, but the people that you're going to be able to impact the players, that group's going to grow over time. 
And then you're just going to have exponential results and exponential success based on what you're putting together. So that was encouraging for me as somebody who always wants to go in and immediately have as much success as possible. That it's just like, hey, we're going to focus on the process and really not worry about the results right now. And we're just going to keep progressing and doing what we're doing. Just a very processed, you know, approach. The results will come. But what we're seeing from our athletes, and I think it'll be really fun as we roll out our Aon program player performance throughout the entire year this year. I think the results that we're going to see is going to be night and day to what's happened previously. I know our players, whether they say it or not, really feel and appreciate the work that we're doing. And in working with them is super important. Again, increasing communication and putting together programs that they want to use and implement. I think there's been some things that we've tried to do in the past or the LPGA has done that the players just, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't want. So it's again, working with our players on the front end to know how we can kind of best assist them, work with them, and then provide that programming to them. I think a couple of new programs that we're rolling out are things that are directly created based upon needs that have been expressed through athletes. One as it relates to player sponsorship and endorsements. We spoke with so many rookies this last year during our intro conversations, and many were concerned as uh, you know prices continue to go up with travel that you know would they be able to initially afford the opportunity that they've earned to be an LPGA player? Unlike the team environment where everything's kind of afforded, you know, provided to them, you know, our players have to go out and earn everything that they make, whether it be from a sponsorship perspective, on course earnings. There's no guaranteed money. And I think that's just really such a, such a difference. But one thing is our player sponsor program that we're putting together. We have so many great partners that come to the LPGA, but some aren't ready to kind of partner at the official marketing partner level. But what they end up doing is they end up working closely with our athletes. So what we're doing is we're putting a, a program in place that's going to hopefully facilitate better introductions and connections from those types of sponsors that want to be a part of the LPGA ecosystem ultimately get into player sponsorship, but we can facilitate, you know, a relationship and a connection to players that one, have a need for a sponsorship, the dollars align, and they get an athlete who has a, an interest and a focus in the area that the, that the sponsor is bringing to the table. So that's kind of help us, helping to accomplish that goal. And another thing that we're doing as well, in kind of the post-COVID space, golf has experienced so many highs and there's there's the most demand for golf that there's ever been. Unfortunately, what that creates is a, is a high demand on our courses. So our players are really struggling to be able to find places to play. If I'm a first-year player out of college or a high-level amateur that's never played professionally, it can be challenging at times for me to identify and get into you know country clubs or different pra- practice facilities so I can kind of you know, play and perform. Again, this is different from the team context where they can just go to the facility and do different things. Our players have to go out and seek that out. So what we're doing is we're putting a program in place in in a number of markets where we have a a large number of LPGA players with select venues in these markets where our players will be able to go play and practice and hopefully not have to pay full membership fees along the way. What we're going to be able to do is, and I think in any great relationship, value must move both directions. So the value that the players receiving is obviously they're able to play and practice and get what they want out of the facility. But in order to give back to that club and back to that membership, we're going to help facilitate our player going in and doing junior clinics, playing in men and women's groups, doing panel discussions in exchange for that playing opportunity. What that's also going to allow them to do, that's going to allow them to kind of get in the arena of, you know, an area that they may not have been around before where it's getting around, you know, 
people of influence and maybe more importantly, facilitate additional sponsorship opportunities by getting around members that may want to um, help support a young player as she starts her career. So two programs like that that have really just kind of out of what we're trying to put together in the greater athlete development context, that's really going to be able to help move our membership forward and really just kind of close gaps for them based on what they're seeing. So, and that's out of a product of just communicating with our athletes at a higher level and allowing them to understand that we want to just help them. But I think what's important for us to remember is we need to execute on these things. If a player comes to us with a need, I tell our team all the time, and their first interaction isn't super positive, they're not going to come back to us again. They're not going to raise their hand if they have a negative experience. So it's, again, bringing ideas to the table, working with them, and then you know going through and executing it. But I think that hopefully helps to kind of answer that question a little bit. No, absolutely. I think that's, uh, it really does. And I think it sort of speaks to the thought and the approach that you guys have taken, the data-driven and the highly communicative sort of two-way street that the LPGA has taken in order to put together those programs that really are designed to have an impact on their athletes. So again, it's probably a great place to put a bow on it. Thank you so much for taking the time to connect with us, Blake. Really do appreciate your thoughts. And some insight into what's going on in uh, female golf, and particularly with the LPGA and the Epson Tour. A thank you to my co-host, Stephanie Thorburn. Thanks for riding shotgun yet again. And there you go. And again, Blake Henderson from the LPGA, thank you again for making time to connect with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys.